8. It's been a few weeks since we've uh, been here, but we're going to return and uh, continue on through our study in John. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 12 through 30. 12 through 30. Verse 12 we've looked at. Jesus tells them that He's the light of the world. We've looked at this a couple of uh, different times in a topical sense, but as we take it with verse 30, we're going to get the context of how this statement plays out. So John chapter 8, starting in verse 12, it says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true, for I know whence I came and whither I go, but you cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man, and yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my Father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, you cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he saith, Whither I go, you cannot come. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus said unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. As he spoke these things, many believed on him. So we have another one of these sections in John that um, it's like John chapter 5 and John chapter 7, where you just get a lot of discourse, a lot of dialogue back and forth between um, Jesus and the Pharisees, Jesus and the Jews. And in this particular uh, back and forth in John chapter 8, we don't necessarily get any new information about who Jesus is, aside from Him saying, I am the light of the world, as this conversation goes on over the next 17 verses. Uh, there's not a lot of new information. Jesus is saying a lot of the same things that he had already said um, back in John chapter 5, back in John chapter 7. Um, you'll notice at one point in this back and forth exchange when the, um, the, the Jews say, who are you? Jesus says, well, I'm, what I've been saying about myself hasn't changed. I'm saying the same things that I've been saying. And so it can be kind of um, uh, confusing might be a good word. I'm not sure. It can, you can wonder at times, what, what is going on in, in John chapter 8? Why is it that we have yet another one of these back and forth exchanges that seems to be um, a very similar uh, repetitive exchange 
like Jesus had before. I mean, John wrote this and he wrote this with intent behind it. He put it in here for a reason. And the question is, uh, why? Why why another back and forth like this? And, and I think that the answer to that is John is... I mean, we already know from earlier messages that John has a a clear purpose as he writes this um, as he writes this gospel that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But then we also know from the prologue that there are several themes that John is going to be unpacking again and again and again and again. And so. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12, that He is the light of the world. He's the light of the world. Well, we've done this with most of our messages, and we've done it for a reason. But going back to the prologue, here's here's what John says in, in John chapter 1 about Jesus. It says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now we've talked about this, and um, this light shining in darkness, and the darkness comprehending it not. There is a true sense in which this comprehending it not means the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. But there's also a a sense in which you could... um, understand what's being said and, and, and just the way it's written. The light shined in the darkness, but the darkness didn't perceive it, didn't understand it. There was no understanding as to what was going on. That's what we see in John chapter 8. If you were to go and, and count in John chapter 8, verses 12 through 30, you'll, you'll count five different back and forths between Jesus and the Jews. And if you were just to take any one of those and... Uh, just take it as a standalone. It doesn't really make for good devotional reading. It doesn't make a lot of sense in, in, in a lot of the exchanges. And by that, I'm not saying Jesus doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm saying if you take it as a whole, this is what you find. Jesus makes a statement. The Pharisees are completely confused by what he's saying. Jesus makes a clarifying statement. The Pharisees have no clue what he's talking about. Jesus makes another statement. The Pharisees are lost. Jesus makes another statement. They don't, at this point, even know who in the world he is. Okay, so it's just this back and forth, back and forth. The light has shined into the darkness, but the darkness comprehended it not. So I want to look in John 8 at at three different realities about what John is showing us about what the light exposes. Okay, so if we if we step back and we think about John 8 in a thematic way that the light has shined in, it's exposing some things, then I think it helps us organize this section in a much more helpful way than if we were just to go line by line. So, number one, as we look at this section in John, the light is exposing the identity of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is exposing His own identity whenever we look at this section. So, there's a couple of things that's being said here. Number one, Jesus plainly states about Himself in verse 12, He is the light of the world. This is what Jesus says about Himself. It's the same thing that we just read that John said about Him. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, what what are we to understand? What's the significance of that? Well, the significance is, and so the light shined into the darkness, the darkness understood it not. 
the significance of Jesus Christ being the light of the world is that the only way that we can understand, make sense out of, perceive reality, I'm talking about spiritual reality, which is actual reality, is through Jesus Christ. There is no right understanding, right perceptions. There is no walking in truth. There is no understanding and comprehension outside of the light of Jesus Christ. He is that light. Okay, so Jesus is the light of the world. The rest of the world lies in darkness. We're going to go through this first section fairly quickly because it's really uh, we're going to we're going to park it on the second one. Second, what we find in in uh, as far as what the light is exposing about the identity of Christ, this is what Jesus says about himself in this section, and he's already said it before. The light is exposing, Jesus is exposing that he is from heaven sent by the Father. Jesus is is this unique figure in Jerusalem here at this time. He's a teacher and there are many teachers, but what separates Jesus in particular, what separates Jesus's claims from what anyone else is saying is that Jesus clearly claims that he is sent from heaven by the Father. So he has this unique authority, this unique authority that no one else is claiming. We see this in John chapter 8 as he's pushing back against the Pharisees in verse 15 when he says, You judge after the flesh, I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I'm one that bears witness of myself, and the Father that sent me bears witness of me. If you drop down to verse 25, he also says whenever they answer, Who are you or who art thou? And Jesus said unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning, I have many things to say and to judge of you, but... He that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things that I have heard of him. This reality that he's been sent, he's been sent by the Father. He's been sent to speak truth that he knows, and he knows it firsthand. Again, we learn this in John chapter 1, verse 18. Um, no man has seen God the Father at any time. Only, or the only begotten Son who has come from the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. So it's this exclusive relationship that the Son has had with the Father. And when He comes to declare, to reveal its firsthand knowledge... What Jesus is saying is not some information that he learned from another rabbi. It's information that he's received directly from the Father. It's light. So, number one, Jesus is the light of the world. Number two, Jesus is from heaven sent by the Father. And then number three, you look in John chapter 8, verses um, 24 and 28. Jesus says in verse 24, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am He, you shall die in your sins. Now, you'll notice in verse 24 that when He says, if you believe not that I am He, that the word He is italicized. That means it was put in by the translators just to kind of fill out the thought. It literally says, you will die in your sins if you believe not that I am. Okay, and you can, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you understand what he's making reference to there. He goes down in verse 28 and says, um, Then said Jesus unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, 
Then shall ye know that I am, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. So Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is from heaven sent by the Father. And Jesus is the I am. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God from the beginning. Okay? So the light is exposing here the identity of Christ. But what we really see in John chapter 8, and I I think this is John's reasoning for bringing these back and forth long dialogues between Jesus and the Jews and the Pharisees, what we see is that the light exposes the human condition. The light exposes the human condition. When we talk about doctrines like total depravity, which simply means that sin has affected every area of the person, totally corrupted, totally fallen, really totally dead. Sometimes we can paint a picture in our mind that might not be exactly the full story. When we think about total depravity, a lot of times when we think about sin nature, a lot of times what we think about are people who are involved in this gross, heinous sin, people with unbridled um, desires, without any self-control, who are who have been given over to all kinds of um, filth and all kinds of immorality. And that is part of what we're talking about when we talk about total depravity. But the Jews and the Pharisees put a whole other face on what total depravity can look like. On what it can look like to be dead in sin. Or maybe I should say it this way, what it can look like to walk in darkness. Because what the light is exposing here is it's exposing a blindness, a, a confusion, and, a, and pride. So as Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You'll notice very quickly, I mean immediately, the Pharisees jump in in verse 13. And they say, you bear record of yourself and your record is not true. Jesus answers and gives an argument. He argues that his record is true, that he's not the only one who says this, but the Father is bearing witness to this. And and he says, you have... In your own law, you say that the testimony of two men are true. I'm one that bears record of myself and the Father bears record of me. So Jesus says, my claim is not just built upon my own witness, although it would be fine if it were, but even according to your law. This would stand up in the court of law as far as the Jewish law was concerned. What comes from that? Well, it's just more and more and more and more confusion. They never get it. They never get it. And so the light has come into the world. The light has come into the darkness. The darkness comprehended it not. Here's really, here's the question. We're thinking about the sun, S-U-N. How in the world could the sun be right in front of your face and you not be able to see it. That's what's happening here. How is it that the source of all light could be directly in front of your face and you couldn't see it or recognize it? And there's only one answer. You're blind. right? You have to be blind 
in order to miss the sun when the sun is right in front of your face. And this is what Jesus is referring to. This is what Jesus is exposing. We have several problems with the human condition that this little exchange exposes. Problem number one, what's being exposed here, is a perception problem, a thinking problem. You see what Jesus condemns in verse 13, or really what He pronounces, uh, John chapter 8, um, I'm sorry, it's verse 15. Jesus says this, problem number one, ye judge after the flesh. Okay? This is what the light is bringing out. As soon as Jesus makes this proclamation about being the light of the world, Pharisees say, that is not true. And Jesus gets straight to the heart when He says this, here's your problem. Your perceptions, your judgments are according to the flesh. Okay? What does this mean? Well, it means that their judgments, their perceptions are darkened. It means they have a, a complete lack of understanding. You know, when we think about the description of what it means to be left in darkness or what it means to be what we are by nature. In Romans chapter 3, it's a very popular passage that we go to to kind of uh, back up this, this truth, this reality that there are none righteous, no, not one, when we're thinking about total depravity. But whenever you look at Romans chapter 3, you find the very first descriptor that's given Romans chapter 3, 10 and 11, after Paul makes this proclamation, it's written that there's none righteous, no, not one. The first thing he says is this, there is none that understandeth. There's no one left to themselves that has understanding, perception. What he's talking about here is light. There, there is no one who just naturally is able to look at the world, to look at themselves, to consider even the body of truth that we have and find understanding in and of themselves. You can have the Bible right in front of your face and miss it. The Pharisees, the Jews, they had Jesus Christ right in front of their face. And they missed it. Why is that? Well, it's because they and we, by nature, have no understanding in and of ourselves. We, 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 we need an understanding, a source of understanding that comes outside of us. This is part of what Jesus is saying when He's saying, I am the light of the world. That's part of what John is exposing whenever he then goes on to show what this back and forth looks like between Jesus and the Pharisees. Here's their problem, he says. You're judging after the flesh. The flesh is just that fallen nature. It's just the natural man. Matthew 13 talks about this. Look at Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verse 13. Jesus says, Therefore, speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing you shall hear and shall not understand. 
And seeing you shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Jesus says as he's speaking in parables, he's given an explanation. I I speak in parables for this reason, he says, because they seeing see not, they hearing hear not, neither do they understand. There's a parallel passage where Jesus really is saying, I'm speaking in parables to conceal the truth, but the, the, the reality that he's talking about here is that there's a heart problem. There's, there's a heart that can, that can take in the information and yet have no understanding of what's actually being said. There's an eye problem. That is, you can see and yet not have a perception. There's a hearing problem. And that's what's being, again, illustrated in John chapter 8. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And they respond and they say, this is not true. Well, What's the what's the difference primarily? What's the difference in those that hear the claims of Jesus Christ and say this is not true and then those at the end of our section there in John 8:30 who hear and believe Well, we could really boil it down to what we were talking about this morning in the Psalms and just say, it's the mercy of God. How do you take someone who has ears that can't hear, eyes that can't see, a heart that has no understanding, and bring them into the light? Give them an understanding of spiritual realities? Well, the answer is you can't. You don't. Only Christ can do that. When Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, what He's saying and really what's being illustrated here is that not only is He the only source of light, but we are completely dependent on Him to be brought into the light. We also see this reality in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In verse 3. Where Paul says, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not. In Ephesians chapter 2, he talks about being walking according to the prince of the power of the air. Okay, this is this demonic influence, this satanic influence, this blindness that by nature we are bound in. Okay, this is an enslavement. When we talk about being enslaved to sin, it's not just enslaved to certain actions, because actions come from and flow from a heart that perceives, that believes, that pursues. And what's being described here is this satanic blindness the blinding of a heart, the blinding of an individual. It's being confined to the kingdom of darkness. 
what does this look like in real life? Um, well, you know, a lot of times when we think about the kingdom of darkness, we think about satanic influence. A lot of the Christian world has gotten it wrong. They turn it into these things that spooky movies are made out of, where demonic activity is more about you getting scared, right? Horrified by monsters and demons and and scary things. Well, it looks a lot less like a horror movie or a haunted house. And it looks a lot more like people that have no perception of spiritual realities. Satan is not busy trying to spook you. He's busy blinding you. He's busy influencing you and convincing you that you can stand in judgment over truth, just like these Pharisees were. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And they say, that is not true. They're standing in judgment over the Son of God, not realizing that their own judgment is bringing judgment upon them. Well, we live in a world that's doing the same thing. These these very... We think about maybe in basic categories, but these spiritual realities, this, this heavy darkness that blinds the minds of men and women. This is what really, when we, when we think about cultures, when we think about societies, Just as what Brother Caleb said last Sunday afternoon, this is what the spiraling and the downfall of societies and cultures are all about. It's about men and women walking blindly to their own destruction. Why? Because they're blinded. They're walking according to the prince of the power of the air. How could this be? Well, Ephesians 2.1 says, you were dead. We're talking about now men and women, spiritually speaking, who are completely dead. They have no capacity for spiritual things. They can't see them. They can't hear them. They can't understand them. There's no perception of them. Brothers and sisters, if we have an accurate understanding of that, the question is not how could things be so bad? The question is how can they not be worse? Look in Ephesians chapter 4. Look at this description that's given to the natural man. The man who judges by the flesh. Natural perceptions. Ephesians chapter 4 Verse 17, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Now, this is what he's saying. Do not live. Walk is just a manner of living, a manner of life. He says, I'm, I'm calling you not to live like an unbeliever. Okay, The Gentiles there is just talking about an unbeliever. Do not live like an unbeliever. Well, how do they live? Paul's fixing to get into a pretty in-depth description. Walk not as other Gentiles walk, or live not as unbelievers live. How do they live? Number one, in the vanity of their minds. The word vanity is just a, a word really for emptiness, futility. They live out of the emptiness of their minds. 
we got a thinking problem here, don't we? There's, there's nothing there. There's nothing to retrieve. There's, there's nothing of substance. There's no light there. What else, verse 18? Having the understanding darkened. Okay. They're living out of this emptiness of mind, this futility of mind, a mind where there's nothing there. And because of that, their understanding, their perception is darkened. Okay? They, they, they have no ability to perceive and understand things rightly. Where does that lead? Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Again, alienated from the life of God through ignorance. How? Because their understanding is darkened. How? Because their minds are vain or empty. Why? Because of the blindness or the deceitfulness of their hearts. Well, when we get this sort of an understanding, when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, and the Pharisees say, what are you talking about? When Jesus says, no, I know what I'm talking about because I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. I was sent by my Father to say these things and I'm saying these. And they say, who is your Father? When they continue to go back and forth with, with just utter, almost absurdity. What we're seeing is this Ephesians 4, 17 through 18 reality lived out. It's a people who are groping in darkness, who are left to themselves, who have the Son of God right in front of them and can't see it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 would hit this again. We have a perception, a thinking problem in John 8. First Corinthians chapter two, verses nine through sixteen. First, we're going to read verses nine through twelve. It says, "But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit." For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So he's making an argument here. And he begins in verse 9 saying, I has not seen nor has ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love Him. Now, what's being said here? Well, what's being said here is spiritual understanding, accurate understanding or light about God and who He is and what He has done and what He is doing is not something you receive in and of yourself. Okay. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, it has not entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love Him. There is no spiritual understanding that comes from within. Okay. Then he goes on and essentially says that they have been revealed, verse 10, to us by His Spirit. He goes on to make a little bit of a, of a logical argument about 
Um, uh, in verse 11, uh, what man knows the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him? Okay. Um, even so, the things of God know no man but the Spirit of God. In other words, how can you know what's in my heart unless you're me? Okay, you can't. And what he's saying here is the same way with God. You can't know God. You can't know God without someone who actually knows God revealing that, unveiling that for you. And he says his spirit does that. His spirit reveals. And so he says, we've not received the spirit of the world, that is the flesh, but the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given us of God. Here's point number one to 1 Corinthians 2. Spiritual understanding is always supernaturally imparted. It's a supernatural thing. Spiritual understanding always comes through the revealing work of the Spirit. Now we're talking about um, uh, regeneration, we're talking about conversion, and we're talking about the ongoing work of the Spirit opening blind eyes and ears. But then he goes on, and this is important for us to understand as well. In verse 13, as he says, the things that are freely given to us of God, which things, verse 13, also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So, first, we grow in our spiritual understanding and perception as we understand reality in light of the Spirit's Word. What do I mean by that? Well, he talks about comparing spiritual things with spiritual things, not um, verse 13, speaking in words of man's wisdom, but with those words which the Holy Ghost teaches, now we could do a whole different sermon on this, but essentially what he's saying is your understanding is sharpened and grows as you see things the way God sees things. As your perceptions are informed by His Word, not man's wisdom. What do we mean? Well, when man's wisdom calls something sickness that God calls sin, We're in darkness if we adopt a sickness mentality to what God says is active rebellious sin. You understand what I mean when I say that? And we could go on and on and on and on. What's being said really here is that if we've been brought out of darkness into light, but we've allowed our hearts and minds to be programmed by the thoughts of the world rather than the words of the Spirit that He's given us in Scripture, then we're in darkness. There's a darkness there that we're still actively remaining in. Why? Well, because the natural man receives not the things of God. I think we learn two things from this. Number one, this is why and how people are so blind. People can not have accurate perceptions. But this just came off the heels of him saying, We don't speak in man's wisdom. Why? Because the natural man does not perceive the things of God. I think part of what Paul's saying here is why would we borrow darkness? Why would we borrow man's wisdom when we already know it's not built upon light? It's not built upon the things of God. He cannot know them because they are spiritually discerned. So we've spent a decent amount of time here, but this is really what's being illustrated, at least part, in John chapter 8. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. The Pharisees and the Jews essentially start out with, no, you're not, and then it just declines from there. The light is exposing. We have a perception problem, a judgment problem, an understanding problem. 
when we say, I think things ought to be, you better watch out. Just because you think it doesn't mean much. My God is, well, we better watch out. Unless what you're getting ready to say is informed by Scripture, you're in darkness. So we have a perception problem. Secondly, back in verse 23 of John chapter 8, the first criticism Jesus gives is, you judge your judgment is after the flesh. You judge after the flesh. Next he says in verse 23, after Jesus says in verse 21, I go my way and you'll seek me and you'll die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. And then they start to try to figure out among themselves what is he talking about. In verse 23, he said unto them, Ye are from beneath. I'm from above. Ye are of this world. I am not of this world. Not only do we have a perception problem, but the reason that we have a perception problem is because we have a, an origins or a, a nature problem, which is what we've been talking about. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 talks about sin coming into the world through one man, right? That being Adam. And, and, and death was brought as a result of that. And so death passed upon all men. We're born into a sin cursed world and we've inherited a sin nature which is passed down to us through Adam. And you know, if you've been here for a while, you understand that. That's not new news to you. But this origins, this nature, is not something that you and I get to change on our own. It's not what you do, it's what you are. Romans chapter 8, verse 5, talks about these categories, these fixed categories. Romans chapter 8, Verse 5, it says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Brother Jeremiah was here a couple of weeks ago making this distinction. We only find two categories in Romans chapter 8. You are either in the flesh or you are in the Spirit. And to be in the flesh that is carnally minded is death. To be in the Spirit is life. When we're talking about being in the flesh, again, we're talking about the natural man, the sin nature. And what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 is it doesn't matter how much you try to dress up the flesh, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's a supernatural thing. It's, an, it's something that is imparted by the Spirit. It's a being brought from death to life. Jesus says, I'm from above. You're from here. You're from below, and that's your problem. First John 4, 5-6 through would say that those who are not of God do not understand God. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 16 talk about this wisdom that's from below. It's, it's pretty, uh, 
pretty helpful to look there and, and, and to keep this in mind as we're going through John because you just see it again and again and again. James chapter 3. Verse 13, he says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation or a good manner of life his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, Glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. Well, could there be a better description of the encounters that Jesus has with the Pharisees, with the Jews, than this heart of bitter envying that the Jews had toward Christ? This strife that they had in their hearts toward Christ. This was this wisdom that was earthly, it was sensual, it was devilish. Brothers and sisters, it was not just, and it is not just reserved for the pages of Scripture. This earthly, devilish wisdom is played out every day in the hearts and lives of those who do not know God, those who are dead in sin, those who are in darkness and blinded to the truth. The reality is our nature is going to be reflected in our thinking. And our thinking is going to be reflected in our living. We find that. You do what you do because you think the way that you think. And you think the way that you think because you believe the way you believe. Okay? All of your perceptions go back to a belief. And your belief is either darkened or enlightened. Okay? Every single one of us, we talk about this a good bit out of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, live out of a heart. And that heart has either been enlightened by the Holy Spirit and the Word, or it's blinded, darkened through the flesh and the blinding influence of the world and the devil. So the light comes, exposes who Jesus is. It exposes the human condition. But then the light also comes and exposes the reality of salvation. Look again back in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Jesus said, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am He, you shall die in your sins. Well, here's a question. Where Jesus says if you don't believe, you're going to die in your sins. But the real question here is, how will they believe? How is it if we go to Romans chapter 3 and the first reality that's highlighted is they have no understanding. There are none who seek after God. There are none who understand. How are they going to believe? What's the great need here? Well, now we're covering old ground. We go back to John chapter 3 where Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. Unless a man is born of the Spirit of God, he cannot enter into the kingdom. Matter of fact, unless a man is born of the Spirit, he cannot even see the kingdom. And so what's the, uh, what's the application of a passage like John 8, 12-30? For those who are in darkness, how do they get into the light? Well, Paul says in Colossians that we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. That is passive tense. It was something that's done for us. It's not something we did for ourselves. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be 
born again. This is something that must be done to you. It's not something you do for yourself. John chapter 1 says this as it relates to the text we've been looking at in verses 12 through 13, well, 11 through 13, he came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. You see, John is going to come back to this reality again and again and again, and he's not going to apologize for the repetition. He's going to look at it maybe from a slightly different angle, but you can't get through the Gospel of John without walking away with this reality that you must be born again or you are left in your sins. That you must receive the Spirit of God. And this is a sovereign work of God. And so what's the uh, application? What's the implication? What do blind men do? Blind men and women who have no ability to correct their own blindness? Well, look in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Jesus in this chapter has several different encounters with several different people. We're just going to look at verse 27. It says, And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed after Him, crying and saying, Thou Son of David, have mercy on us. Have mercy. Now, we've talked a lot about mercy as it relates to God's covenant loyalty, God's covenant kindness, but there's also another sense of mercy, another word for mercy even, that, that just means pity. Son of David, take pity on me. Have compassion on me. I can bring nothing to the table here. I can't change my condition. I'm blind and I know I'm blind. And I'm fully reliant on your mercy to be given light, to be given life, and to be delivered from this condition. You know, the darkness is stubborn, the darkness is thick. But Jesus Christ knows how to shine His light directly into the darkness and to give life. And so, maybe you this morning recognize that your judgments, your perceptions, your thoughts... are not right. Maybe your affections toward Christ are just non-existent because of your perceptions. What do we do? What do you do? You cry out for mercy. For those that we know, loved ones that we know who are in darkness, what do we do? Well, we cry out on their behalf for mercy. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Those who follow Him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What does that mean? You've heard this before, but it's worth highlighting. What this means is the only hope that a dark and dying world has is Jesus Christ and Him alone. And so may we look to Him 
And may we place our hopes in Him as His light shines in the darkness. Let's pray. Father, we uh, again, we thank You for the Word. And Lord, we pray that Your Word would shine into each and every heart here and expose whatever's there. Father, this whole business of being blind and being able to perceive that is just something we're completely unable to do outside of Your help. And so, Father, if there are those here whose hearts are darkened, who have no perception of that, I pray that You would shine Your light into the darkness of their heart and begin to draw them to Yourself. Father, for those of us who know You, who have been called out of darkness and into light, I pray that You would bless us to walk in that light. I pray that we would not collect for ourselves perceptions that are formed by man's words and man's wisdom, but that through the Spirit, with the words that the Spirit uses, that our perceptions would be shaped and that we would walk in the light even as You're in the light. Father, we pray these things through Jesus Christ. Amen.